Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. All right, so let me give you some context as we dive into this unique book in the Bible called Song of Songs. And there's, there's really two names uh, for the Song of Song, Songs. One is, of course, Song of Songs, and that's kind of the ancient title. Or many people say the Song of Solomon. Uh, more recently, people have used that, that, uh, that title for this book, and either are appropriate. There's no really wrong or right title. So you, I might use that interchangeably, and I just want you to know that that's the same book of the Bible and so let me give you some historical context so that you understand when we start to read these verses, what, is, what does this mean and what is, where is this coming from, okay? And so the Song of Songs was written probably around the year 965 BC. So around 1,000 years before Christ was born, this, this uh, book was written. And the Song of Songs portrays this moving love story between King Solomon and a shepherdess. And so it's, it's a, a book or a group of um, uh, verses that are meant to probably be sung aloud. Okay, so this is before the days of like, you know, Delilah love songs on the radio. Okay, they, they, these verses have a love theme to them and have, uh, uh, talks about intimacy and different things about relationships. And so they didn't have radio back then. And so uh, they, they would sing these aloud. Uh, so it's interesting just as you read this book to think about the fact that uh, most likely they were sung, uh, the, these verses were sung. And so when we're talking about intimacy, love, passion that a bridegroom and his bride share in an eventual marriage relationship. And so as we read these verses, I want you to think about two people uh, for, for context. We have Solomon and then this girl. Well, who's the girl? The girl is a girl from Shulam, or she's known as the Shulamite woman. And uh, as you begin to study this book, you can read it from two major perspectives. Okay, so follow me, because sometimes you can read verses out of here and you'll say, you know what, there's a lot of similarities, and it seems to be uh, talking about Christ's love for the church, and we are the bride, the bride of Christ, and so I could see some parallels. And while that's true, there definitely are some parallels there, uh, that perspective is like an allegory perspective. And a lot of people say, well, that's, that's how I would read it. But I think the more appropriate uh, uh, perspective is really uh, about a true relationship, something that is to be interpreted literally. And so you'll start to read it. Uh, story of a man and woman, a husband and wife, intimacy, love, and passion. It all seems to line up. And of course, there are some similarities between that and Christ's love for us. So, one way to outline this book, and, and um, I'll go over just a couple different headers here. Uh, chapter one through chapter three is about like courtship. And maybe we don't really use that term a lot anymore, uh, but especially years ago, courtship was common. It's basically talking about the dating process. And your courtship usually has a connotation like we're doing this thing, this thing God's way, and we're doing, taking it slow and careful. Uh, dating has a lot of different implications now, but anyways, that's a different story. Uh, it's, it's about getting to know each other. So that's kind of how it starts to warm up in the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. And, uh, and I just wanted to share a few uh, 
things that I've learned, because I was in youth ministry for many, many years, and, and we would talk about love and relationships a lot. And so as a youth pastor, I collected some pretty interesting and uh, sometimes cheesy and sometimes compelling uh, pickup lines that young men would say, hey, Pastor Matt, I, wanna, I, I got an idea for a pickup line. So I'll let you vote. You can clap your hands. Um, don't take it too seriously, okay? It's meant to be funny. So some of you are like, and don't write them down. Don't use them on anybody else. That's not what I'm saying. All right, here's one. Um, one guy came up to me and said, hey, here's a good one, Pastor Matt. I went up to a girl and I said, I put the stud in Bible study. Are you lost because heaven is a long way from here? I'm like, that's so lame. That's just lame. I was reading the book of Numbers yesterday and I didn't see yours in it. Mind if I get your number? Ooh, some of the ladies are like, that might have worked on me. And then my favorite one is this one. I'm not, this, I'm not usually this prophetic, but I can see us together. <laughs> so there's a lot that happens. Um, and, well, let me just ask this. How many of you are married right now? You're married? Okay, all my married people. Very, very good. Awesome. And you remember what the, the courtship days or the dating days were like, and there was the probably notes that you passed, and and my wife and I, we did that. We wrote each other all the time. I think last year I shared that we have this massive box of, of uh, love notes that, because that was before, like, you know, we didn't really call that much and we didn't have texting or anything like that. So it was like love letters in the mail. We were long distance dating and we did that whole thing. And there's just this, this romance and this passion and this, that when you're dating, I mean, it's just, you're like a whole different person, right? You remember those days. And, um, and so that's kind of what it's talking about in the first part of, the Song of Songs. Then it starts in chapter three to get a little more spicy, okay, a little more serious, and it starts talking about the wedding, including the procession, and it even talks about the bedchamber, which is just a weird way to put it, you know what I mean? The bedchamber, talking about the wedding night, and I gotta warn you, it's, it's a little bit rated R, okay? Rated R means realistic, so everybody calm down. But as you read this, Sometimes you're like, okay, wait, no, I am reading the Bible, right? Yes, okay, I'm reading the Bible. Um, so is, should this be in here? Like, well, it's in here, it's written down, okay. So it starts to describe some of this stuff and the passions that, that come along with, with the wedding and the wedding night. And then in chapter five, from, from chapter five to the end, it, it really focuses more on, on the marriage. And how many of you know marriage can be a blessing? Yeah. Marriage can be a blessing. Listen to this. Proverbs 18:22 says the man who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. All the guys that are married say amen. amen. All right. Now guys, on this next verse, please don't say amen. Because marriage can also be a curse. Proverbs also says in 27:15 says a quarrelsome wife is as annoying as constant dripping on a rainy day. Again, guys, zip it, okay? <laughs> so it can be a blessing, it can be a curse, and there's, there's a, a right way to have a marriage, and, and there's things that the Word of God encourages us to do as a part of marriage, and then there's other things that it encourages us to stay away from. And so the Song of Songs is, is filled with this, uh, this little relationship where these songs are to be sung, and it's about a passion and a love and romance, okay? And there are three Hebrew words uh, different Hebrew words that uh, all represent flames of love 
that are meant to, to burn together and burn together in, in a hot way to, to maximize the, the relationship, to maximize the passion, to maximize the sexual relationship. And so I'm going to break those down for you. The first is just Raya, and that's talking about the friendship or companionship. And I've had people ask me over the years, you know, what's the number one piece of advice you could give as I'm trying to uh, find out who the right person it is, and, and I don't know if it's if she, he or she is right. And the biggest thing I would start with is, do you enjoy the person? Like, are you real friends with that person? Can you just enjoy hanging out with that person? Is there companionship there? And if there is, that's a good sign. The next step uh, would be uh, a word called ahava. And this is written, um, if you take the original text of Song of Songs, that's another word that's used. And that's talking about the commitment and the, the passionate loyalty or the wedding. And so you've got the, the first stage, which is more friendship, companion. Then you go to the next stage, which is the, the wedding. And then you get to the, the stuff that makes me blush a little bit, okay? And that's, uh, that's the word dode. And this is the physical, sexual aspect of love. And so if you look up what that word means, uh, it can be translated like li- this, literally to carouse to rock or to fondle? Am I blushing yet? Okay. So, so we have this progression. And you know what? This song of songs describes all of these flames. They're burning together. The stages progress. They advance. And they happen one after the other, or, or at least they should, in a proper relationship. And uh, then comes the physical aspects or the physical part or the sexual part of a relationship. And I think it's important for the church to actually teach on this and preach on this because inside a marriage relationship, sex shouldn't be taboo or it's not impure or it shouldn't bring shame on anybody. Somebody say amen. Amen. Because it's by design, this God-given desire that he's given us, and as long as it's within the context of marriage and we're following the word of God, it can be a blessing, and we know that. And so I've, I've talked with people that, especially young people, and they have this in their mind that, that uh, sexual relationships are bad. And, and again, it's, it's easy to go there, especially when you're talking to like students with raging hormones and passions. You're like, no, sex, bad, bad, sex, bad. Uh, sexual relationships, don't even think about it, just think about Jesus. Every single day, we're thinking about Jesus 24-7, right? And so they can get to this this stage in their life where they develop the relationship and they even have the engagement or they have the commitment part and they're friends and they get to this point of, of standing at the altar and then all of a sudden they, they carry that over into the marriage relationship and that's not healthy. So it's important that we teach on this. There shouldn't be a shame, a, uh, any type of shame that is associated with uh, sexuality or love or passion or intimacy inside that marriage relationship. I like how Howard Hendricks puts it. He says this, we should not be ashamed to talk about what God wasn't ashamed to create. Let me say that again. We should not be ashamed to talk about what God wasn't ashamed to create. He created this thing. Romance is God's idea. God created the two sexes with a need for each other. In fact, in Genesis 2.18, it says this, it is not good for the man to be alone. And so we know that. So it's not, we're not meant to be alone, but it's a good thing that we can have relationship with one another. And so God created marriage and sex to be great and satisfying. Therefore, it should be a part of our, our married lives. And um, if you think about it, in many ways, sex is the reason why we're here tonight. Because, our, you know, 
That's how it works. That's how procreation kind of works anyways. All right. Some guys are taking notes like, oh, I finally get it. All right. But God created us with these romantic desires, and, um, and he wants us to fulfill those in the correct way. And there are themes all throughout the word, and especially in Song of Songs and even in the New Testament. Jesus talks about this. But I, an idea of this, leaving, cleaving, and weaving. All right? Leaving, cleaving, and weaving. So what is, what is leaving? Well, we know that we leave our father and mother. Um, I remember us packing up this burgundy uh, Pontiac Grand Am. We moved from Indiana down to Florida. It was like so loaded. It was this far off the ground, and we just made the trek, and we left mom and dad. And it was, it was cool. It was kind of sad in some ways, but in other ways, it's like, peace out, mom and dad. All right, starting my new life. And I think that's healthy. I think that's, that's a good thing. And the Bible talks about leaving your father and mother. And then what do you do? You cleave to one another. So that's kind of the next step. And then you're also weaving threads of intimacy throughout a lifetime. And so I love how Jesus defines uh, marriage. I love how Jesus defines uh, what's appropriate in the sexual relationship and, and gives us so many parameters with this, within this, uh, th- this text. And so this is found in Matthew chapter 19, uh, verses four through six. And I would say star this, highlight it. There's, it's like a... Um, power-packed verse that has so much uh, theology and content that that's one of my favorites whenever I talk about relationships. Because Jesus says this, he said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Who said that? Jesus did. Doesn't take much interpretation just to understand. And it's, it's kind of a shame in some senses that, that this could be uh, like an epiphany to some people, right? What used to be common knowledge now is like, oh, really? So Jesus actually, so it's just, it's simple. Male and female, there are two different genders. Amen? Amen. It says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother to be joined to his wife. And that's the leaving, right? And the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And you've heard that if you've been to a, a wedding uh, in our traditional marriage uh, script, uh, when we're officiated at a wedding, a lot of times that passage is in there because he's, he gets to define it because it's, it's pretty black and white. And so here's some takeaways. One, the sexual union should be permanent. The Bible says, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so uh, it, it's permanent. Now, there are biblical grounds for divorce, and there are, there are exceptions, but we know God hates divorce, and that should be a last resort, kind of like what you were talking about earlier. Like, make sure that it's, it's the last resort, and you've done everything you can to try to work through. But there are uh, biblical grounds for divorce. But, but uh, more often than not, we're talking about a permanent relationship there. Number two, uh, the sexual relationship is independent. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. So that's, that's healthy, parents, that your kids leave the home, and start their life together. I think there's a lot of wisdom in, in that. Um, number three, it's monogamous. The two shall become one flesh. We're talking about two people, you know, not multiple partners or multiple marriages um, at the same time. Also, uh, it's to be heterosexual. 
God made them male and female. A man is united with his wife. So you take all of those, uh, those, those verses and you just, like I said, it's so much content within just that right there. And we go, okay, now I'm starting to grasp and understand not just my opinion on what a marriage looks like, but what Jesus taught a marriage should look like. So we don't just, we don't just like watch the news and be like, you know what, that sounds pretty good. Or we see a, an Instagram post and you're like, oh, that's a cool sound bite. I think I agree with that. You're setting yourself for a lot of danger. We go to the word of God because that's the, that's the roadmap. That's the foundation. And everything else is built upon that. So the beginning of this book is about the earlier stages of, of a relationship. And I've kind of subtitled this message, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Wright. Mr. and Mrs. Wright. And you've heard uh, people say, oh, have you found Mr. Wright before uh, or yet? Or have you found Mrs. Wright, the right one for you? Um, and so that's kind of why, that's what I'm talking about. And I realize I'm talking to people that are already married. And so I'm going to talk about four qualities to continue to develop if you are married so that you can continue to develop being or becoming Mr. and Mrs. Wright. Or if you're still searching and you're still looking, I'm going to talk about four qualities to look for in Mr. or Mrs. Wright. All right, so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The first quality to look for and develop is, is godly character. Godly character. So now let me go to the Song of Songs. I'm going to read this verse. Okay, so these are meant to be sung. I'm not going to sing them. Uh, if you'd like to go home and sing them, please record it and send it to me. I'd love, I'd love to watch that. So this is Songs uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And this is the, the girl that we were talking about. Remember I said it's about a man and a woman. This is the woman that, that says this. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. And I underline this part because it says this. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young woman love you. And so what she's talking about here, I mean, I, she's attracted to Solomon in a lot of different ways. Um, but what she's focusing on in this moment is, is his name, his, his character. And she says, your name is like perfume poured out. And, and what that is equivalent to is saying your name is like this purified oil with fragrant, fragrant flower blossoms. In other words, it's valuable. And she was attracted to his name. She was attracted to his good reputation, his good character. And so if you're sitting here and you're saying, well, I just always seem to attract the wrong kind of guy, or I'm, I always seem to attract the wrong kind of girl. One thing that I've learned in just in, in, um, my perception or just over the years of ministry is I would just ask you to, to ask yourself this question or look at your own life and say, well, if I'm always attracting the wrong kind of person, what kind of bait am I using? Now, how many, how many fishermen or fisherwomen do we have in here you like to fish? Okay, I grew up, like I said, in Indiana, freshwater fishing, and then I came down here, and I started to uh, try to do some saltwater fishing and stuff, and so I'd go out to Jetty Park and throw a few lines in, and, and, and you catch bigger things, weird things, things that'll bite you uh, with, with saltwater, but it was fun, and, and uh, me and my friend went out, and we were using shrimp, and when we were catching, uh, when we were using shrimp as bait, we were catching like good fish. We were catching uh, jack and we were catching uh, flounder and all kinds of cool things that we're like, okay, we, we like this. But then we, we started using a mullet that was frozen, frozen mullet. 
and we'd cut them up and we'd put them on the hook and we would throw it out. And when we would throw it out, inevitably something would happen. We would, our, our rods would bend really far down, almost to the point, well actually one time it snapped it in half and the reels couldn't sustain. At first we're excited because we're thinking we have the greatest fish ever. Then we realized that we were catching stingray. And stingray are a pain to catch because they take your line out really far. A lot of times they, they're so heavy and we don't have the proper equipment. And then once you get them up to the shore, you just have to like stay away from it. And then you cut it and then it just goes away anyway. So you waste time, you waste uh, the equipment and all that stuff. And, and eventually it dawned on us. You know what? If we want to stop catching stingray, what should we do? We should stop using this frozen mullet because that's all we're catching on this stuff. And then we switched off and we were catching the right thing. And I think the same thing is true in our lives. If you're sitting here saying, I always attract the wrong kind of person in my life. I always seem to attract the wrong type of, of character in my life, people with the wrong character in my life, then look at what kind of bait that you're using. And it's so important to have godly character. So you don't attract what you want. Listen to this. You attract what you are. And finding Mr. or Mrs. Right is not so much about finding the right person. It's more about becoming the right person. It's more about you running after Jesus. And you're running after Jesus. And then before long, you look next to you and God's provided somebody in your life. And you're like, you know what? This person's running after Jesus too. We're ahead of everybody else. And look, she's pretty. Look, he looks handsome, whatever. And so you have to, Go after God first and have that character as a priority in your life. And so when looking for someone to date, don't just look for potential, look for patterns. How do you know if someone is passionate about Christ? I would say you'll know in about the first 30 minutes that you interact with them. Or I could even break it down to the first 30 seconds. You're gonna know, you know. A lot of times we just get blinded by all the wrong things, but if you're looking for a quality or if you wanna develop a quality in your marriage, Right character and godly character is so important. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Secondly, um, the second quality to look for and develop is growing trust. So let me go back to the, the, song of song, the Song of Songs. She says this, Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun, my mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard I had to neglect. And that's Songs uh, chapter one, verses five and six, meant to be sung, right? So what she's revealing here is this, this vulnerability. She's saying, don't stare at me, I'm sunburned. Um, and if you think about it and you do the research, in Near Eastern, Near Eastern culture, light skin was considered an indicator of beauty because they were inside all the time, right? And in working uh, women or the, the women in working class families became darkened by the sun because they're outside, they're in the fields, they're laboring. And so she's slowly revealing her insecurities here. And later, we're gonna, we're gonna look at how he begins to like love all of her insecurities away. Uh, and how many of you know everybody has insecurities? Everybody has things they don't like about themselves. And, and so she's sharing this vulnerability and there's a, there's a growing trust that is happening here. And I like that. And godly relationships, listen, must move toward tr trust. Many people just see marriage as, as a contract, just like a piece of paper that you sign, and that's all it is. But according to scripture, it's, it's way more than that. It's referred to as a holy institution. 
I like that wording. It's a holy institution. And again, you go back to the marriage ceremony and it says, we are gathered in the sight of God to join together this man and this woman in what? In holy matrimony. It's not just a contract that you sign. There's, there's so much trust and loyalty and uh, spirituality that is uh, tied into a marriage relationship. So marriage, no, it's not just a contract. What's a contract based on? A contract is based on uh, mutual distrust. Like if you hire a contractor in your house, you're gonna probably sign something and you're gonna limit your liability and you're gonna say, it's kind of because I don't trust you very much. If a friend just comes in to work and he messes something up, you're like, oh, I guess we'll just live with it, right? But a contractor comes in, you're signing a contract and it's, it's all based on mutual distrust. And so you're protecting your rights, you're limit, limiting your liability. If you live up to the terms, I'm in. If you don't, then I'm out type of mentality. But listen, a covenant is based on mutual commitment. I'm gonna say that again. A covenant is different than just a contract. A covenant is, hey, I, I trust you. And, and uh, this is more than just some signed piece of paper, but it's mutual commitment. And marriage is a covenant. It has a high, high level of trust. So I want to take a moment and, and talk about Symbus that we offer. If you're thinking about uh, getting married, before you get married, let me encourage you to uh, go through what our church offers. It's called Symbus, and it's, uh, it's this, uh, this program or a series of, of meetings that you have, and you go through this curriculum, and it, it talks about all of this, and it helps you, you walk through. And so uh, if you want to do that, you can, you can email that um, uh, that email address that we talked about earlier, or if you're married and you just want a refresher, there's also something called Symbus Plus. So maybe you just want a refresher, you want to sit down, and you want to just uh, heighten those levels of trust and that commitment and a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, we can set that up for you as well. We would love to do that because I want to see healthy and strong marriages in this church. Anybody with me, right? That's what we're about. So we want these to be tools for you and, and resources for you knowing that nobody has it all together and you might run through a season where you need some help and that's good. So if marriage is only a piece of paper, then why bother? And this is something, listen, that is, is prevalent in our society today. That, uh, oh, we're not gonna get married, we're just gonna live together or we're just gonna cohabitate. And if you look at it practically, I'm a Dave Ramsey guy, I like, to I like his teachings and stuff and I'm like, hey, in one sense, yeah, we can share on rent, we can share on Netflix bill, we can share on the phone bill. It seems to make financial sense. But you start looking at the word of God and it, you get it all backwards when you do that, right? You don't live together until you're married, amen. So uh, if you look at the, the stats, this is Pew Research. If you compare 1990 to 2019, the number of marriages dropped significantly, significantly during this time. Um, the percentage of adults cohabitating, though, more than doubled in that same time period. So less people are getting married, more people are living together. And listen to this, the Nas National Center uh, Family Marriage and Research Foundation says this, 80% of teenagers expect to cohabitate. It's like, well, marriage isn't important. They don't view it as important. They just view it as like, well, we're gonna live together and we'll see what happens. So there's this missing piece there, it's trust. And guys, you can put this graphic up here. This is just, uh, I wanna quickly move through this. Listen to this. Uh, this is from Pew Research as well. It says here, higher levels of trust and satisfaction among married than cohabiting adults. And so this is percentages of adults who 
uh, are married or living with a partner saying that their trust, that they trust their spouse or partner a great deal to, for example, be faithful to them. I love that married is higher than living with a partner. And this is like in general, so we have unbelievers that, that's a part of this, but this just shows the strength of marriage versus cohabitating or living together. They act in their best interest. Marriage is higher. Always tell them the truth. Marriage is higher. Handle money responsibly. Oh, there you go. Marriage is higher. So there's something to this thing that Jesus established called marriage, and we should take it seriously, and it's all founded on trust. The third quality to look for and develop is this, is high standards. She says this in verse seven, tell me whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? And so what was a veiled woman? A veiled woman was uh, a woman who gave herself um, uh, as a prostitute to men. And she's saying, no, 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 that's not me. Why would I be like that? That's not me. I have, I have standards here. I have boundaries in my life. And, and you know what? Sexual relationships and uh, physical relationships with one another, they have to have boundaries. When they don't have boundaries, that's when it gets uh, harmful and hurtful and it sets yourself up for disaster. And so listen, you have to have boundaries. And I've noticed this, that if you don't have any boundaries, then you probably don't have a great sense of value either. So if you're just like, yeah, just anything goes in my life, I'll do whatever, I'll date whoever, there's probably something in your life, there's a, there's a root problem there and it's probably that you don't value, your, value yourself very much either. And again, we will, we will walk you through that and talk and pray with you if that's your perspective. So that's the uh, third quality. And then the fourth quality to look for and develop is this, this is the final quality, is consistent encouragement. He says, now this is him talking. Solomon says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Again, it's kind of weird when we think, we, if you just read this and you have no context, like guys, if you went up to your wife and you said, darling, you have a horse face. You remind me, no, I'm serious, you just remind me of a horse it doesn't mean the same thing now as it did then. So you gotta be careful. Don't just take things from the Bible. You know, you gotta look at context. So what does that mean? Well, it's an adult female horse, yes, but it needs explanation. White horses pulled Pharaoh's chariot. And this is the most esteemed, prized animal. It's related to deity. What he's trying to say here and what he's really saying in context is you are beyond value. He's saying, you think your skin is burned? No, you're gorgeous to me. Uh, he says later on in verse 15, how beautiful you are, my darling. How, uh, oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. How handsome are you, my beloved. So there's character, there's trust, there's encouragement, and then the physical part is last. And, and uh, Pastor Jim's gonna pick up next week, and I'm gonna leave him all the even more spicy stuff because that's the way I planned it. That way he can cover that. Right, Pastor Jim? I'm, not, I'm a smart guy, okay. But I love the result. We talked about how she felt insecure in the beginning. But as a result, as you read through these passages in chapter two, the result is she feels special. She replies after she talks about her insecurities. She says, I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. And he says, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. 
So basically he's saying you're the most special person on the earth. Chapter one, insecure. Chapter two, she's special. And he adores her, he cherishes her, he treasures her and values her. And then also the result is that she feels secure. She writes this, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade. Security is something that, that the ladies really want and need in a man, right? Is that security, that sense of security. And we see that in this text. She likes the protection from him. She likes that, she gets that uh, covering from him as the provider, as the protector. And so this is a cool illustration of what a healthy and godly relationship looks like. Listen, when we have the right parameters, when we have the right uh, steps that we take, uh, relationships, courtship or dating, whatever you want to call it, it can all be a blessing, especially the physical relationship, uh, the sexual intimacy, all that can be good. There shouldn't be shame uh, and um, this, this guilt attached to any of that stuff. And I think that needs to be the theme that resonates tonight. That if we want to be Mr. Right, we want to be Mrs. Right, or we want to find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, and we got to look for these, these qualities. What are, what are we talking about? We're talking about, um, number one, godly character. Somebody say amen. Number two, growing trust. That's good. Number three, high standards. And number four, consistent encouragement. Amen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.